Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Okay, you guys, I am so excited about today because who you're going to get to hear from is somebody who absolutely shaped Get Out of Your Head in the beginning. We went for a dinner that was supposed to be an hour, and I don't know how many hours we were there. It really did. It ended up shaping a lot of the book because I did it early, and I I was so moved by what I learned. I specifically asked Christina to interview originally because of her job title alone. So Dr. Savasian, <laughs> let me get this right. You are a cognitive behavioral therapist. Yes. I'm a psychologist and I use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy in practice. Yes. Okay. And the reason I was so drawn to it and when I heard your job title was it was literally what I was talking about and get out of your head, which is that we can change the way we think with our behaviors, with our thinking. And so I'm so excited for you to be here today and to really talk about what it looks like to do this process with kids because a lot of who you work with is kids. So talk a little bit about Sparrow where you are a counselor and what it looks like on a day-to-day basis with your clients. Oh yeah. Thanks, Jenny. So I'm one of the partners at Sparrow House Counseling in Dallas, Texas, and we are a large practice. And it's really cool because we have a team of about 30 people and everybody kind of specializes in different things. So we have a team that's just actually dedicated to working with children and adolescents and their parents. And I kind of help run that team. And then we have a team that works with adults, with marriages, with trauma, lots of different experiences. So, and we get to work, um, all together, which is so fun and learn from each other and encourage each other to grow. And we're a team of believers and that's really cool. Yeah. And I actually told your story, our our conversation, I talked about you in the book because the part specifically that ended up shaping a lot of the book was the lies that we believe. And there were three specific lies that you told me that came from Psych 101 and, that, and I didn't believe you because I thought there's got to be more than three. And you were like, nope, Jenny, there's three and, and kind of worked it out with me and played it out. And so why don't you just talk a little bit about about that? Because you're working with, you know, let's get, just to be clear, age range of clients at Sparrow are what to what? We, three to like, we senior citizens. So obviously with the younger kids, we are doing more of a parent-based approach and then all the way, you know, into adulthood. And we work with whole families too. I think that's a little different um, when we're working with kids and adolescents. Part of my focus is working and passion really is working with the family because obviously that's shaping so much of how kids think, what they believe about themselves, how they act behaviors that parents reinforce or encourage or what they're not. Yeah. And I get excited about this season because we're talking about how we can help as adults. So whether that's counselors, teachers, youth workers, aunts and uncles, I mean, parents, we're all, you know, all of us have kids in our lives. And what does it look like to fight for them specifically? I want to hear a little bit more about those lies because that is the part that shaped me and sent me kind of on a hunt. And really, I think it shaped me so much because it surprised me. And because I work with women all the time, and I, of course, I have my own kids, I just thought there were more. So talk a little bit about those kind of three core lies. 
So a lot of times, especially um, these three core lies, or we'd say like kind of beliefs about self fit into these like categories that we were talking about. What we know is that these beliefs, we all have them, but they get very activated when we're anxious or depressed. So I'm going to go over the three categories and then I'll give you an example for my own life. I'll be kind of vulnerable because there's a great one that happened this week when I was feeling a little anxious. So one is that we're just unlovable, that like at the root, there's just something about us that people can't love us. And that can come out. People can describe that belief in a lot of different ways. You know, they can say, well, it, I just, I don't feel like anybody has ever really truly liked me. Or maybe if they really got to know me, they wouldn't love me. Another mm. is that I'm just incompetent. Like I'm just a person that I can't get things right. I make a lot of mistakes. The other category is like, I'm just somebody who's like kind of morally bad or bankrupt. So maybe in a Christian sense, we, we all believe that we're sinners, but maybe this person really believes that to like a really kind of extreme level that's unhelpful. And then there's one more that's just, I live in a really dangerous world and that I am so vulnerable that I just could not cope with hard things that come my way. So those are, and then we've got lots of different people will say different things, but they kind of fall generally into those categories. And we know this from cognitive behavioral therapy, which Aaron Beck is the, the medical doctor that created this. And he did it at a time when people were still very kind of in the psychology world, we're not really thinking that thoughts were that important to mental health issues. So he was really the first person that said, Hey, like, I think the way we think about things really matters. And he's wow. actually still alive. And I got to go to a training and meet him. And that was like really cool to get to see that. So for the lay person, cognitive behavioral therapy, what does it mean? Just means, hey, that what we think impacts how we feel and what we do. And our feelings impact our thoughts and our what we do. And what we yes. do impacts how we feel and how we think. So it's just that all those three things, there's an interplay. And it's yes. actually really biblical, right? Like we know right. in the Bible, God talks a lot about our thoughts. Well, you can imagine when I find Christina and we're sitting over dinner, and this is already the premise of the book is that all these things are spiraling into each other and causing quite a mess. And that really scripture has given us a lot of authority over our thoughts specifically. And that it seems, you know, I mean, if you just go to the Romans verse that says, how do we change? And it's like transformation is going to come by the renewal of our minds. So we know that scripture is pretty clear, like the way we're going to change is renewing our minds. This was really hopeful to me that this could be proved by science because cognitive behavioral therapy isn't necessarily a Christian idea, but it certainly backs up what the Bible says, correct? Absolutely. Like when I was in grad school and I was being introduced to it, one of the things the professor said is like, all truth is God's truth. So sometimes through science, we uncover these truths as just people in the world, but it's a truth that God already knew. It, right. doesn't, it didn't surprise him. Isn't that fun? And I think that was my biggest surprise of the book. I think I thought I would go down this road for some reason. I thought that science and the Bible were going to be at odds somewhat. And yes, the end of what it is we think about is different, right? And how we find hope and how we find peace and how we find joy and those things where we look for it is a different place. And certainly as a Christian, I believe a lot more secure foundation. But at the end of the day, the brain works the way that the brain works because God built it, right? So talk just a little bit about what you're seeing. Let's talk about the kids you minister to. What are you seeing? What are themes that you're seeing in the last five years in this generation? 
that's coming. Yeah, I am so glad you asked that, Jenny. And I did look up some stats because I do like to kind of ground people on some data, but really seeing this huge increase in anxiety disorders, mm. huge, huge, huge. So it went from just kind of for a, a, a little history. We used to in the 80s when I was a kid, we did not think children could actually have anxiety disorders. We're like, oh, they they can't over worry. They don't really worry. Mm. And then in the 90s, we learned, no, like, kids can have anxiety disorders too to this. So there's a lot of women that I may work with that really have never gotten treatment because nobody really identified it that way. We used to just say, oh, they're kind of a worrier, a worry wart. And then in the, to this day where what's really awesome is we're working with a lot of pediatricians in our community. So they're really able to sort of for us screen some of these kiddos and give parents some really good information or parents just honestly have access to better information that no children can really suffer from anxiety disorders. And if they go untreated, there's lots of really negative consequences that we know last into adulthood, unfortunately, and worsen in adulthood. So mm. that's one of the big things. The other, just some statistics on that is that, and I, just cause I was feeling this way, but I always like to back it up and say, hey, are other people seeing the same things? But we actually know the diagnosis. So that means people actually getting treatment for anxiety disorders has increased 17% in 2018 from 2007. So huge increase. Mm. And we know that depression, unfortunately, has also increased. So from 2007 to 2017, it went from 8% of kids struggle with depression to 13%, which is a really big jump. And one in five girls. The other sad, one more data point that's really sad is suicide has really increased 54%. It's just, uh, mm. that to me is the saddest. And some of that is untreated depression and anxiety. So, mm. Okay. So now I'm going to tell you where every adult listening is, is because I'm here too. Tell me what is the line to know when to get help? Because all of our kids worry, right? I'm looking, I mean, as you're saying that, I'm like, gosh, did I worry too much as a kid? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's too late now. But my own kids, you know, wh what's the line of going, you know what, this is something beyond the, the realm of what a parent should be handling, where they should kind of seek help and possibly medicine or counseling? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you're right. With depression, it's a little clear, right? We need help with this. It's, it's, it's a little more obvious. Anxiety is harder. What we kind of think about is we think, how much is this impacting a child's life? So sometimes I notice parents will start to make excuses for behavior like, well, I just think they're introverted or maybe on the Enneagram, they're this number. And so that's why blah, blah, blah. They start explaining it. But I feel like deep down they go, hmm, they're really just not wanting because of this fear and this anxiety, it's coming out in terms of how they're feeling at school, wanting to go to school, wanting to do stuff with other peers. Maybe they're really concerned about thunderstorms at a young age, the way none of my other kids were afraid of thunderstorms or, oh, I can't really drop them off at Sunday school, even though they're comfortable with maybe the people that are volunteering in the Sunday school classroom or they're used to them. And so you start to see that, whoa, this just seems really different from my other kids. Or if you don't have other kids, you look around and you go, hey, the other other kids in general don't seem to be struggling as much with this. And then what what parents what's helpful is to start talking about it. 
oftentimes your pediatrician's a great person to talk about because they understand child development. And I know the right. first instant is not going to be to run to my office. It's probably going to be to talk to somebody like that. So I encourage parents to do that. Because I'm looking back at my kids and I'm like, I've got some that just were scared of everything, but they they worked through it and, and they were they did it in a way over time. Now it's not, you know, again, I don't look back and go, gosh, that was an anxious kid, I look back and go, they had to overcome fears. That's a little bit different than where you see paralyzed, where you see them spiraling constantly and they can't kind of come up. Yeah, they're kind of always a little worried about something and then it's it, it just keeps changing, right? Like it's right. never like, oh, okay, and now I worked through it, now I feel better about that. We usually think if it's been going on for you know over a year, it's probably not a phase, it's more of something that's problematic. What we know is treating it at a younger age helps kids stay on their developmental course. Because for adults, you know, if you or I are having some anxiety and we go, you know what, I'm not going to worry about that this spring. I'm going to wait till the summer and then maybe I'm going to get in and talk to somebody. That's not going to have a major impact on our life, most likely. But for kids, then now they're off the course of kind of their social development, their academic development. It can just have much bigger consequences for just kind of waiting. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, you know, here, here's what I want to say to all of you listening that are going, gosh, do I need to call a counselor? What do I need to do? I just would do it. My, my view of it is if you can find a Christian counselor that that typically works with your age range, because I think that matters. They need to be trained in adolescence or, or child therapy or whatever. If you can find a gospel-centered counselor, you're going to pick up tools as a kid or as an adult, for crying out loud, like we need the counseling too, that just help. And that's where I've been with friends, kids. That's where I've been with my own kids. We've always told our kids, we've saved for your counseling. We know we're screwing you up and we've got an account for it. So they know that they can go see and talk to somebody anytime they need to. We just are big believers in talk to us first and let us be in the process with you with the counselor. We don't want you to ever feel like there's something you can't tell us. So we just want to all be a team together working towards you growing. But for those of you that have never been to counseling and might be scared of it or think, gosh, that that goes against the Bible or that, that can't be godly or helpful. Let me just say some of the best Christian biblical tools I've gotten has been in counseling offices from trained people that are helping me understand my emotions and work through them and my relationships work through them. And those tools have carried on and caused such maturity and growth in my life. And that's why I'm such a fan of counseling. I have an article on my website, JennyAllen.com, why I think everybody needs a counselor. And I put it in there. And I think, you know, I don't think every kid needs a counselor, but I think we don't need to be afraid of it. It doesn't need to feel like this huge chasm from healthy to counseling. It's like, no, they're going to build tools into your lives the way that other disciple makers will. And a season of it could be good. Now, some of you are thinking, I cannot afford it. And that's real. And there's lots of different ways to get it. And I can't go into all that right now. But I just, I want everybody to not be quite so afraid of it or feel like, gosh, I have this huge troubled child because they're always anxious and now we need to get them help. No, I would say most healthy people are healthy because they've done the work. And what a blessing. And we've always told our kids this, the younger you do it, the better. You know, like let's be as healthy as we can, as early as we can. Jenny, I think that's a great thing because I think what really holds sometimes parents back from getting their their children help, because they know it. When they come into my office, it's really not a question most of the time. They've known it and they've known it for a while. It's this shame. Like there's something I was not enough of or I did wrong as a parent. And now I'm in your office. And that is just not the case. I, I've just mm. never found that to be the case. Yeah. You know, these anxiety disorders, these depression, like this is all mm, very good. biologically and, and based in genetic 
kind of vulnerabilities. It is not something that a parent has done or not done. And what I tell parents is, hey, a good parent gets their child what they need. So if they need a math tutor, you get them a math tutor. If they needed speech therapy, you get them speech therapy. I'm the same thing. Yep. Well, and I think that's good. But I also want to say to those of you that have screwed up your kids, we all have. Like there's a little bit of, you know, my kids are older than your kids are. So I can say this to everybody. We, yes, we've screwed up our kids, y'all. We have. And so what? We, so did our parents. Like, but the, the difference is that we're all doing the best we can. And I think, you know, what you'll find out when you get in a counseling office with the kids, how you've let them down and how sometimes with my kids, it's been completely misunderstandings that were, were never dealt with. And we just got to go back and undo some things that were done. So I, I guess I kind of want to implicate us all a little bit more and just say that's okay too. Like we don't have to be the perfect parents, even if our kids are in a therapy office because of decisions we've made, the fact that they're in a therapy office is a win. And the fact that we're admitting our weakness and where we may have failed them is a win. And that's going to cause greater thriving than us being perfect parents. So that's another detour there I would just want to say. But you keep telling those parents it's not their fault too. But Yeah, no. And I and that's (laughs) probably, I think that's a really good point because I think a lot of times there's a lot of pressure. It's like I tell people, you know, screwing up and parenting is like the last thing anybody wants to do. Like they'd rather be way bad at their job than to be Um, really bad as a parent. That's right. And so that's the grace is like, hey, and I've said this before, almost every parent I know is doing the absolute best they can and sure wants to do the best they can for their kid. Okay, let's talk about a parent's heart, mind journey and what that does and how that plays with a child's emotional, psychological journey. Because one desire I have for this is that there will be people listening, maybe that don't even have kids yet, but they're like, you know what? I want to be as healthy as I can. I want to do the work so that when I have kids, my kids are healthy. Like, what does that look like? A parent's journey playing up against a child's emotional and psychological journey. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. So what we actually know, I I hate this because I feel like a lot of times moms are implicated a lot, but we actually know like a mother who is more anxious, that really ups a child's anxiety. And that parents that kind of model anxious responding, then kids learn that. So I think as as a parent or as a person who's not a parent yet, you can go, wow, me learning how if I've got some anxiety if, or if or if just I've had some hard things happen in my life that I need to process through, like if I take care of that, I am going to raise healthier children like I, I just am. Or I'm going to find another person who's worked through their stuff too to marry. And wow, what a gift that is later down the road. Well, and I'm laughing. I need to be clear because this is serious what you're saying, but I'm laughing because I'm thinking about my firstborn. And of course, that would be, have been my more anxious kid. He's not now. But but when I look back, I'm like, of course you were more anxious because you were my first kid. Like I was a nervous wreck. I thought you were going to die every time I turned around, you know, and he was a boy. So, you know, of course he played off of that. And, and that just makes perfect sense. Like what you're saying, my anxiety was higher. And now Cooper, you know, I'm like, hey, yeah, go do whatever. And I'm not worried about it because- He's my fourth kid and they're pretty resilient, it turns out. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I I just think that's a good encouragement. And I think it's never too late. Like sometimes somebody's like, well, now I've screwed it up because they're in high school. And I'm like, no, it's never, it's just never too late. Even if your child is 40 and there's some things that you need to do or take care of in that relationship, I just encourage people to do that. Yeah, hey, and if they have, if your kids have kids, then you'll get to be non-anxious grandparents. (laughs) Yes, exactly. This season, we're, you know, we're talking about these toxic thought patterns that yes. kind of go round and round and round. So how can we help lead our kids through 
these spiraling thought patterns. I want you to give some real practical cognitive behavioral techniques to help parents. Yes, I'd love to do that. And just to back up just a little bit. So I think uh, therapy for kids and adolescents looks a little different because we really are skill building. Like you said, I have a lot of times parents that the setup is like, you're going to tell this person you don't know your deepest, darkest secrets, and you're going to love doing it. And then kids come into my office like terrified. So really, no, that's not what we're doing. We're really teaching them really practical skills like we're going to get into right now when these thoughts enter their head. And for kids, it's more, you know, it's more simple. It's like, I can't do this. This is too hard. It takes too much time. Like those are sort of more of the negative thought patterns because they probably yet haven't developed that those kind of core beliefs like I talked about before. So it's helping them identify these negative thought patterns and then replacing them with truth. Like we talked about, we call them coping thoughts. A lot of times though, we'll use scripture verses for kids that are believers that that really is important to them to kind of combat those like negative, like I can't do it, or it's never good enough, or it takes too long, or it's too hard. So Mm -hmm. I can do all things with Christ that strengthens me. That might be what the verse that a kiddo might use, or another kid might need, you know, they're younger, they're, you know, kids that are in kind of second grade and up, this is this looking into their thoughts. You can start as early as then. Even a kindergartner will say, I can't do it, right? And you might say back to them, I know it's hard, but I know you can. Mm, And just even you're teaching them that self, that positive self-talk. Mm, That's so good. Okay. So let's talk about a kid. Let's just take a five-year-old. Let's do some different ages. Let's take a five-year-old that's spinning out on the playground, having an absolute, you know, fearful attack, whatever. They just feel out of control because they can't maybe get what they want or they're having a breakdown or meltdown because the kid was mean to them. Like, let's just take the kid on the playground spiraling out. Yeah. So first thing is we've got to get back to being calm because we can't look at our thoughts if we're, you know, still melting down and still really upset. So helping them get calm, whether that's, you know, taking some deep breaths, like removing them from the situation and just letting them kind of sit outside under a tree until they're feeling better, whatever it takes for them to be calm again. And some of what we teach kids are those coping strategies, but deep breathing is one really great practical one that works very well. Then it's looking at the thoughts. So like, you know, and just saying to them, sometimes we talk about with a kid, a good coach and a bad coach, because they know they, you know, even in preschool, they've had a soccer coach before. And so what was the, what was the bad coach saying? I can't do this and it has to be my way or whatever kind of negative thought they have. Kindergartners are hard because some of them are aware of their thoughts and some of them really aren't. So if they are, then that I can't is usually the thought, like I couldn't do it. It was too hard, something like that. And then helping them go, well, what could we say to ourselves instead that this is hard, but I can do it. If I keep going, I can, I can take a break if I need to, like just some easy kind of phrasing like that for kids. You just want it that little, you want to make sure they're really, really short. And sometimes we teach it in a very concrete way. Like they usually have seen cartoon characters. And so we might use thought bubbles because that's a more concrete way to help them learn about their thoughts. You could even draw a thought bubble you know, with the child could draw themselves, you draw the thought bubble, you can do the writing. You were telling yourself, I can't, but we know I can. And putting that on the other, the little engine that could like that whole, I think I can, I think I can, like that is such a good illustration of that. Okay. And now I'm going to be the little devil's advocate and go, but there are some things that we can't do, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I guess that's where, again, I am that parent that's 
believes in my kids, but I also am someone who doesn't want them wasting time on things that they're not good at or something like that. And maybe that's just me being practical, but, but what's that balance of reality too? Right. Cause this isn't about positive thinking. We're talking about realistic thinking and that's really oh, important because in cognitive behavioral therapy, it's not like, Oh, just think more positive. It's think more realistic. So let's say a kiddo, um, for example, let's take that five-year-old since that's who you're talking about. Let's say right now they can't do subtraction, right? And so you're you're sitting down with them and they want to be able to do older brother's homework and or do the same game that they're doing in their subtraction. And so helping, they may say, I can't do that. And you might say, buddy, you can't do that yet. And that's just a little, right? Because that's realistic. Because probably five-year-old in you know a year and a half, two years is going to be able to do subtraction, just not right now. I love this, what you're saying. And I'm so glad I actually asked that very pessimistic question because we don't want to create this culture of like, you can do anything. And it's almost, for me, I think the reason I probably asked the question too is I don't want that. I want somebody to be direct with me and tell me the truth. And so that's super helpful as far as what we're telling our kids because I think they know if we're flattering them. Totally. Like kids' senses are even better than ours. Okay, let's take the 11-year-old. Let's take the preteen, the adolescents, because I got one in my house, that is emotional and they're noticing those emotions and they are too emotional about things and they are trying to sort that out, but they haven't built the skills yet that an adult has to be able to respond without anger. They need more self-control. That's what I've sensed in most all of my, not just my 11-year-old now, but all my preteens. It seems like there's a lot of, wow, <laughs> at that age. So what does that look like? Just because we're not worried about behavior as much as what's going on inside of them. What is going on inside of them and how do we help? Yeah, I think one thing is just kind of understanding just a little bit of basic development, which I find this to be really important for parents so they can have a little bit more patience to work through this with them. But brain development wise, we know in preteens, hormones are kind of starting to hit and puberty hormones have already had to hit before puberty's happened, right? And so what's happening is the part of their brain that's the emotion center is getting really activated, right? And then their prefrontal lobe, there's huge development in adolescence as we, most people understand now from research. And so what's happening is that's a little out of whack. Like their emotion system is really sensitive. And then we've got this, the front part of their brain that's supposed to help them regulate their emotions is not quite developed. So it's like the recipe and then we've got hormones. So it's the recipe for disaster. So one of the things, you know, in this cognitive behavioral approach is part of it is teaching them how do you cope with really big feelings, right? Mm. And so what do you do? Like, how do you take a break? Like even adults need a break. And like we talked about deep breathing and for some kids, you know, they need to go draw. Some of them need to go, maybe they want to go read their Bible because that really is important to them. Some of them need to go for a walk outside. Some of them are like, I just have to get away from you people right now. So to encourage like those breaks, whatever they need, and then trying to talk with them in a way where they're calm. Cause again, we can't look at thoughts if we're not calm and regulated. And that goes for the parent too. If the parent is too upset to talk with them, that's okay. Take a break yourself. I talk to parents about that a lot and then helping them look at, you know, maybe where that anxious thinking or negative thinking, or, you know, that really down thinking is coming from. Cause maybe kiddo heard, well, when you told me I couldn't go, you know, walk to the park with my friend, you know, I was thinking, well, you don't trust me, right? And for a parent, they might be thinking, well, yeah, a little bit, I don't trust you, right? But a big part of that is there's also some dangers out there, right? That I need to, I don't think at 11, you're quite ready for that yet. And I think that's a good, like, how about the thought there is like, hey, not yet, but one day, 
Mm. What you're talking, I'm sitting here internally processing it. I've gotten a lot of free counseling through all this, y'all, <laughs> recording these podcasts. I'm thinking about one of my kids and I'm thinking about their behavior. And sometimes it's just this red flashing light to me and I want to know what's going on inside. But I, and I know that there's a reason they're acting that way. But at the same time, we got to treat the behavior too, right? So you're, what you're telling me is, hey, there's a lot of chaos in those years. Right. But we also can't let them act and say everything that they're spewing. And, you know, what, what does that look like as a parent to have grace for where they are on the developmental, you know, schedule of life? And then also to say, you're not going to act this way. Right. Parents ask me that a lot. So for our, I'm going to just, I'm going to break it into two categories. One is our typically developing kids. So they're, they're pretty normal. They're not dealing with an anxiety disorder, depression, or things like that. They're just, they're pretty normal. And so for them, the behavior happens, they're calm. We talk through it with them. They sort of explain what they were thinking, what they were feeling. Great. We work through that part of it because that's sort of the hard issue at that point. And we say, yeah, we totally get that. And I'm so glad you explained it to me. Now we still are going to have this consequences, this consequence because our choices have consequences. That's a good little line because they do. And so you're going to still hold to that, but you are going to, there's going to be some softness and grace and that they shared that with you. And you're going to connect through that and just say, yeah, but there's still this consequence. Right. And then for our kiddos, that some of our kids are having meltdowns because they were actually anxious. Like I had a big meltdown because I was really nervous about going to that birthday party with the other 11 year olds. Because when, when these meltdowns happen, what I'll hear from kids later is like, well, I had that big, I yelled and screamed at my mom because actually I was so nervous about going to that birthday party because I didn't know what to talk to the other girls about. Cause right. they, they all sort of talk well with each other and I didn't know what to say. Mm. So then I actually had that meltdown. Oh. So then my mom kept me home, which is kind of what I wanted, you know, cause I didn't know what to say. Cause I was anxious about it. So from there, you know, parent might in that scenario, really, it, this takes a lot more time to parent the anxious child is to really go, Oh, let's back up. Oh, okay. Could you, is there any way you could put some words around how you were feeling before we got in the car, right? So developing some feeling language. And then also, you know, with somebody like me, it's maybe just some practical skills about, yeah, what are some conversation starters? What do you imagine they'd say to you? Could you practice? Let's practice having a conversation right now, just so they feel more prepared. And then parent also has some understanding like, oh, this meltdown was not just bad behavior or spoiled or entitled. This was really like, I was totally freaking out because I really didn't know what to say. And I did not want to embarrass myself in front of these other girls. Okay. So I want you to talk now and I want you to talk directly to this group. I want you to talk to the college age slash upper high school, 16 and older girl guy that struggles with anxiety because this is just so rampant. And I want you to just, you know, give them some hope of what does it look like to struggle with this as you're getting older, as you're, you know, heading out into the world, perhaps you're already in the world. And I promise you this too. You're also talking to a lot of people listening. They're 45 or they're they're 60 and they're struggling with anxiety. Well, I think the one good thing that um, I want to tell people is that, that there's hope. We actually know anxiety disorders are the most treatable. So we actually have great scientific treatments for them. So we know what works. That's the good news. And a good cognitive behavioral therapist is going to be able to really help them with their, you know, their anxiety disorder. And I think like that's one of the big things because I think the high school, college age sometimes feel like it's really bad and this is too bad. This is too much to handle. I'm too overwhelmed. It will never get better because they, this is their first experience with a struggle of any kind at all. 
So I think the hope is the big thing. And the second thing is to use the resources. Like um, I think college counseling centers, a lot of times are a great initial resource. They can usually maybe won't be able to see you long-term, but they can help you find a resource in the community, a, a trusted resource in the community. And I think that's so helpful for high school kids. I think it's a lot of times they can feel like there's something really wrong with me. If I have to go talk to somebody like me and to just kind of remove that from yourself and go, man, if I could feel just a little bit better, it would be worth it. It would so be worth it. And so to really be brave and to take on that challenge, I find some of my clients that are that kind of anxious high school or college um, person, they are the most wonderful, responsible, intelligent. They're usually very bright. They get a lot of things done and accomplished. Like they are wonderful people. It's just this er this particular area is a struggle. And so to get, you know, to be proactive and seek out help, I think is so important. Mm, I think that's so good. And I hope that if you're listening and you do struggle with anxiety, here's what I would say, whether you're 20 or 15 or 16, talk to your mom. <laughs> I just know that as a mom, I have always delighted in being let into what my kids are struggling with. And I'm not scared of that. I'm excited to be let into that. And I know it's a scary thing on their end to say it, but I'm telling you, if it's not your mom, if you don't have a good relationship with your mom, talk to somebody, pull somebody aside and say, hey, can I talk to you about this? And what do I need to do with this? Because something about the isolation of it compounds everything that you're feeling. And I would suggest finding somebody older and perhaps a counselor as well. So- yeah, be brave. It is worth it. No, and it, if it's not your parent, of course, we. I really encourage kids to talk to their parents as much as possible and really feel like that's part of my job is to increase that communication. Because yeah. I know sometimes parents can feel like, well, if they're talking to you, are they going to stop talking to me? Right. And that's really not the yeah. point of it because I'm in their life for a season, but you're, you guys having a good open relationship where you can communicate is so important. So that's one of the things I actually work on um, with the teen and family or with the young adult and family. And then secondly, if you're, if your parent, um, if that's just not a person you can reach out to, uh, just any type of tr a trusted adult, a teacher, a doctor, anybody like that in your life, a youth minister, a young life leader, those are all great people to reach out to. Okay. If somebody wants to find out more about cognitive behavioral therapy, I really do appreciate that this exists. I, I really believe in it based on my research and and study that this is a helpful way, maybe a little bit more engaging than than talk therapy, although I'm a fan of that as well. What, how would they find out more and maybe find a cognitive behavioral therapist? Well, there's a great website that's effect, it's called Effective Child Therapy dot com in it what you can actually do in it it's for teens too i know it's called child therapy but what it does is it it gives you different things that kids might be struggling with and it tells you kind of what things are going to be most helpful to treat that particular issue and so that's really helpful as a parent because i get a lot of parents that just go well there's all these different types of therapy i don't really know what they need so this website is a really it's very reputable it's based in science in fact and i think it's so helpful it is not necessarily a christian resource although it is not a resource that would conflict with the bible in any way that's so helpful okay thank you so much christina i'm grateful for you i'm grateful for what you do every day Thank you, Jenny. It was wonderful being on. Hey, before you turn this episode off, I want to make sure you didn't miss this. 
Jenny made a huge announcement about a 15-year dream in the making that is finally coming real, and we want you to be a part of it. If you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, a teacher, if you just work with kids, you will want to go right now to theolaby.com. It's T-H-E-O-L-A-B-Y.com. Drop your email in because coming in June 2020 are tools and resources that are going to help you give the kids in your life a big view of God, and we don't want you to miss it. So head over there to theology.com so you don't miss a single update.